Do you agree with me in prayer this morning? Father God, I just ask that you would uh, make your presence known in this place to us. Lord, and as we take time to, to move into a part of the service where we want to dig into your word and, and see the truth that it holds for us. Lord, I pray against a couple of things. I pray against Satan and what he would do to try to discourage us as we read your word. I pray against our distractions. Father God, I, I just pray that today, that this, this through worship and, and and everything that we do, that we, we just are able to kind of just focus on you. And Father God, as we take time now, and Lord, I just, I recognize that I am not enough. But I also know that when you're with me, when your spirit guides me, that uh, me, me being not enough doesn't really matter. And so Lord, I just ask that you would, Use me now in this moment. Use me um, for the next little bit, Father God, to, to speak your truth, to speak your word. I ask that you would give us ears to hear. And, and especially for me today, Father God, I, I pray that it not be any stretch where I come to bring the word. But Father God, I, I need the word myself desperately. So I ask that you would allow me to be convicted. Lord, I ask that you would allow us to, to take what we hear today and to take it with us, Lord, not, not as discouragement and, and things that we could be doing better, but, Father God, that, that we would look to the cross and, 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 and have joy because we see that all conviction is an opportunity for us to be different. And that only came possible through your Son. So, Lord, lead us and guide us today, Father God. We love you. We praise you. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. This morning, we are starting a new series called Chupa. Now, some of you, I'm not going to name any names, have felt the need to tell me that that is not the way you pronounce that word. And what I have to say to you is that this is my series, and I'm going to pronounce it how I want to, okay? <laughs> I don't know Hebrew, so I'm not going to say chupa. Okay, I'm just going to say chupa. Why? Because it's more fun to say that way. But that word signifies something fairly important. It signifies the wedding tent, the wedding ceremony, the, the place in which two became one. A place that signified the uniting of two separate families coming together to create a new family. A place where our family becomes a reality. In this series, we're going to look at all the relationships that are found under this tent of commitment, husband and wife, as well as parent and child, and lean into how God's Word can help bring unity and relational growth within our homes. So we begin today at the top with the relationship that sets the tone for the whole house, and that is marriage. And for those of you that are maybe here today and you're not married yet, well, you're not off the hook because if you plan on being married at some point, there's some information that you're going to want to hear today that'll help you look for your future spouse. Now, we get this. Some marriages last 
a lifetime while other marriages barely last a moment. But what is it that distinguishes the difference between these very different outcomes? Now, I'd love to be able to stand here today and tell you as a preacher and a pastor and someone of the faith that that's what it is. It's faith that separates the two, but it doesn't. We've all seen examples of non-Christian marriages that last forever. And we've seen Christian marriages that end in disaster. Now, this might tempt us to think that a relationship with God is not a necessity for marriage. And you're, you're right, it's not. But it is a necessity if you want to get the most out of your marriage. See, we, we have a problem. We, we tend to judge marriage success solely on its longevity. But what about the quality? Now, I'm not trying to diminish anybody's anniversary landmarks. But, but marriage has a purpose. There's a blueprint of how it's supposed to work. So why does it matter if a marriage lasts forever if it doesn't fulfill its purpose? That means that a purposeful marriage requires the guidance of the divine, the one who created marriage. But it also means that just because we're here in church or Christian, that doesn't mean that we're entitled to a better marriage. So we live in a culture today that we've, we've pretty much made it, for most of us, we've made cars a necessity. And because cars are a necessity and accidents happen, sometimes desperate times calls for duct tape. I have a few pictures that I want to show you this morning. Now, I, I, we're going to pause on this picture just for a second because, guys, this was well done, okay? They matched the stripe and the car, and the, the, they used black and silver. Well done. I don't know who this guy is, but well done. Let's see the next one. Yeah, this is not how, uh, this is not how that's supposed to work. But I do love the initiative of thinking, hey, if I do this the right way, I can still use my blinker. And so maybe I won't get pulled over by the cops. Let's go to the next one. This is just a bad idea, guys. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even really have a whole lot to say here other than that's stupid, okay? <laughs> that's not going to get you far. And then the next one is my, my favorite. That's tough right there. That's not just duct tape holding that thing together. That's hope. <laughs> Holy cow. That is, that, is, that is not good. All the cars that you just saw, they're, they're still operating. But can we be honest? They're not operating in the way in which they were intended. That is to say that, guys, let's be honest. Sometimes I'm amazed at what duct tape can do. But is that what we really want are those the cars that we really want to drive around? Do we really want marriages that are held together by duct tape? And just because it's working doesn't mean that it can't be better. In Ephesians, Paul lays out for us a mechanic in which marriage should operate. And I'm going to read this, and it's, it's a touch long. I don't normally do this, but it, this is so good. And I want you to hear it all. This is Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. It says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. 
Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, let's switch gears. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He should love his wife as he loves himself. For no one who's hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of this body. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast, not loose, hold fast. That word there in the Greek means to glue yourself, right? Hold fast. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, here's the last and most important piece. Let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she does what? That she respects her husband. I want to ask you a couple questions. Ladies, does, it, does the idea of submitting to a man scare you? Fellas, does does the idea of laying down your life for your wife frighten you? If these parameters bother you, it's a sign that you have a dysfunctional view of marriage. Marriage is not the cure to loneliness, and it is not a guaranteed path to happiness. Marriage is not an indicator of value, and it's not a required social milestone. Marriage is not romance. And it is not sustained with physical intimacy. Marriage is not about what your spouse can do for you. Marriage is about what you can do for your spouse. Might have stole that one from from a famous president. It's the beauty that happens when two people together in a relationship put each other first. Ladies, let me, let me tell you something really, really important. Submitting to a godly man should be a comfort, not a concern. I'm going to say that one more time. Submitting to a godly man should be a comfort and not a concern. Not because you're incapable and need a man to save you. It's because a godly man is himself submitted to God, and he seeks your best interest at heart. A husband's authority exists for service and not for self-serving. In the same manner, fellas, listen, sacrificing yourself for your wife, it should be an honor, not a dread. Not because it's the right thing to do, not because it's the manly thing to do, but because a godly wife is more valuable than being right. I'm going to say that one more time. A godly wife is more valuable than being right. Paul here in the scripture is giving us a model of what a healthy marriage looks like. Mutual love and respect. And without submission and sacrifice, you're going to create a breeding ground within your marriage for dysfunction. While reading the scripture, there was a couple things that really stood out to me. Three directives that I think that if we applied to our lives, it could really change our marriages and our homes. And the first one is this. If you have your sermon outlined and you want to fill in the blank, you can follow along. If you just want to doodle in there and stay awake, that's okay too. Pursue Jesus together. Pursue Jesus together. 
I'm going to ask you a few questions, and I want you to think about your answer, but I don't want you to say your answer out loud because I want you to stay married. (laughs) I'd be happier in my marriage if my spouse did this more, whatever this is. I'd be happier in my marriage if my spouse changed this. I'd be happier in my marriage if my spouse quit doing this. Maybe you wish your spouse listened better. Maybe you wish your spouse spent less time on their phone. Maybe you wished your spouse was a better cook. I don't know. Maybe you wished your spouse would quit a bad habit. I, I don't know what the things that you thought of, but this is what I know. Whatever it is you thought of, I can tell you that this type of thinking is unproductive. Because all it does is it focuses all your energy on your spouse's deficiencies, which only enhances your frustration. And it prevents you from taking the time to look in at your own life and seeing how you can change. We get so focused on on what we think our spouse needs that it stifles our own growth. And and, and I want to be clear. I don't want to discourage marriages from from having those productive conversations with each other like we we have to foster environments within our marriage that that we can share our feelings together without fear a a safe place where we can talk about the things that we need to change together but so often that's that's not what that's not what's happening instead sometimes we allow these these silent thoughts to become unrealistic expectations causing us to become irritable or passive-aggressive, and then we start making assumptions about our spouse's future, which leads to hopelessness. Well, he's never going to change, so why am I going to stay in this marriage? On top of that, we got to understand that our our desire for change within our spouse's life is usually short-sighted, because guess what? We're not that smart. We don't know what they need. That means that the change you think your spouse needs is probably not going to help them long term because so much of the change that we really need is spiritual. So let me ask you another rhetorical question. Do you and your spouse have any spiritual goals in your marriage? Do you and your spouse have any spiritual goals in your marriage? While thinking of of what change your spouse needed, how many of you thought of something spiritual? Did anybody think, man, I really wish my spouse prayed more. I really wish that they went to church more. I really wish that they read their Bible more. I want to read to you Matthew 6, 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Have you ever considered this verse for your marriage? What might happen if you and your spouse sought the kingdom of God above all else? I want to read to you the top reasons for divorce. Lack of communication, financial difficulty, addiction, lost sense of self, trauma, lack of intimacy. You know what the biggest problem with this is? Is that we expect our spouses to solve these problems. You know, when I got married, I thought my battle with lust was over. I assumed that my wife was going to fulfill all my physical needs. Instead, all I did was just turn her into an idol. And then I became frustrated with her because my expectations weren't being met. You know what I discovered? (laughs) Is that my wife, no matter how amazing and spiritual she is, she cannot be God. I discovered that it wasn't her job to deal with my lust. I needed Jesus to do that. So what I'm suggesting here at church is this. 
Jesus is the answer. If we put Jesus first, if we pursued him together in our marriages, we'd find the strength that we need. It's in that pursuit of Jesus where where he guides and helps us make the changes that we need to make together. So if you're having a, a communication problem, who better to help you through that than Jesus Christ? If you're having financial difficulty, who better to lean on? The God of peace who can bring that to you in those times. If you're dealing with addiction, who better to help you through that? Goodness, if you're dealing with a lost sense of self, who better to help you with that than the one who created you? Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, man, Pastor Will, that that sounds real great, but what what does that look like? How do we pursue God? What does it look like to pursue God together? The first first piece is this. Got to pray. Pray together. James 5.16 says this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. What does it produce? It produces wonderful results. I had a boss, his name was Craig Wigington, and it was, he was not like a spiritual boss, uh, but this was right before I was getting married, and he called me into his office, and like, I just naturally assumed, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I'm getting fired. I did something wrong. He sat me down. He had this real serious look on his face. He said, Will, he said, I realize that you're getting married here in a couple weeks, and there's something really, really important that you need to know. He said, the most important thing that you can do in your marriage is pray together. He said, let me tell you something. He said, I'm currently on my second wife. And he said, I believe with all my heart the reason I'm on my second wife is because I never prayed with my first wife. And he said something to me that day that I will never forget. And I think that it is great. It is is such great advice. In those moments where prayer together is the last thing that you want to do, that's an indicator that it's the thing that you need most. To take time to sit together, hold hands, and pray together. And I'll be honest, this, this piece was really, really convicting for me as I walked through this, like, I, I pray for my wife. I know she prays for me, but we just don't spend enough time praying together. And, and I'm not talking about meal times, but like, like just sitting down and like sharing our hearts about the things that stress, like spending time praying for each other, hearing each other's hearts. Or like when, when we're frustrated with each other, pray for each other. Because there's nothing that kills anger faster than praying for each other. I'm telling you, try it. It works. Try being mad at somebody while you're praying for them. It's really difficult. Another thing you can do is study the Bible together. And it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to read together or read the same thing, but but talk about it. Talk about what you're learning. Talk about what you think God is trying to teach you together. Let God's word make room for great conversation in your life. And that's another way that you can kind of help keep each other accountable. And this last piece piece I think is huge is, is encourage each other in the faith. When your spouse is going through a tough time, like surround them with the promises of God. Remind them of who God is. Love on them. Remind them of his truth. Or sometimes it looks like this, especially if you have kids. Give your spouse time to spend with Jesus. Because sometimes that's hard to find that time. Make it happen for them. And, and I just want to say that this, this does not mean that like when they're in a bad mood, you encourage them to be patient, okay? That's never, that's a bad decision. Don't do that. But when they cool off, it's, it's our job to remind them that, you know what? God is still good. God still loves you. And you know what? 
you don't have to face this alone. Because that's what marriage is all about, right? Not that we don't have difficulty, but at least having somebody that's with me by my side, ready to fight with me. The next piece. Give love and respect, even when it's not deserved. Give love and respect, even when it's not deserved. Today's the day for rhetorical questions. I'm going to ask some more. Would you say that it's easier to love those that love you? Is it easier to respect those that respect you? Let's flip the coin. Is it harder to love those that do not love you? Is it harder to respect those that do not respect you? Like, this seems so simple, but I feel like it was groundbreaking for me this week. How do we make it easier for our spouse to love and respect us? We love and respect them first, even when they don't deserve it. Like, that's, that's grace. To continue to love and respect somebody. Like, isn't that what God did for us, guys? Are, are, are we supposed to be kind and loving, hoping that we'll be treated the same, even when we aren't treated the same? Now, that's what it says in Scripture. I want to read to you Matthew 5, 43 through 46. You've heard that it said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? Listen, I appreciate that Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that he's not willing to do himself. Like through grace, that's what he did. He got on the cross while we were still sinners and he died for us. Jesus is letting us know that, guess what, guys? Hatred that's met with hatred only creates more hatred. That's the, that's, that's the only possibility. But hatred met with love has a chance to change the narrative. When Malin was, was first born, we were in Pennsylvania. And Back then, I don't know if it still is like that in Pennsylvania, but when the baby is born, for the first six months, you have guaranteed insurance. You don't need to worry about it. So I'm like, I'm all about that. And then they tell you, towards the end of that six months, all you have to do is you call your insurance, and you can get them flipped on your insurance. So I'm like, got this, easy. So I called, told them, made it happen, right? Well, we had to take Malin to the doctor, and it was a rather large bill, and it came back, and insurance is like, she's not covered. What do you mean she's not covered? I called you, and I added her to the insurance. I remember. And they said, well, what you didn't know is that you, your child had to be denied Medicaid first. And so when you called and had her put on, she was rejected because she hadn't been denied Medicaid. And, and I, I asked them this question. I said, you're telling me I'm offering to give you money to pay for my child's insurance and you're denying me giving you money. I said, yes, sir. So it's a bit of a confession for me. Uh, I spent a couple days and a lot of hours on the phone and I got to say, I I was so fed up. I'm talking to this person, this insurance person, and I am, I'm livid and I'm not, I'm not being a kind person in fact, I'm probably overly rude, and I, like, I've, ju- I've just had it. 
Like, and every time I get put on hold, like the anger just keeps, it just keeps going. And I finally get to somebody that can actually fix my problem. And this, this, this sweet lady, I don't know what her name is, but I tell you what, she didn't respond to my anger with anger. What she did is she responded to my anger with kindness and it woke me up. And I thought, wow, I have been a jerk. But that's what it took. It took someone to be kind to me even when I didn't deserve it and it changed everything for me. And that's exactly what I think Scripture here is telling us to do, that, that we can be intentional with our love and our respect in our marriages. Because guess what? You know what's not going to help our spouses love and respect us? Attitude and indifference. <laughs> it's not like all of a sudden our attitude's going to help our wives go, oh, I want to be so nice to you because you're so rude. That's never going to happen. Matthew 5, 7 says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Jesus isn't saying if you give people mercy, then they will give it in return. It's guaranteed. No. He's saying that if you're faithful to my ways, not only will it open up the opportunity for change, the possibility for change, but guess what? I, God, am going to choose to be faithful to you in return, and I'm going to give you the mercy that you need. I'm going to give you the love and respect that you need. Jesus is asking us to take a step of faith in our marriages and to love each other better than we deserve. He's calling us for be people of grace, and it starts in our homes with this idea that, that our undeserved love will create a desire in us to be worthy of that love. How do you do this? It's simple. Luke six thirty one. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Treat your spouse with love and respect. You know, I've discovered that the real joy in marriage is bringing happiness to my wife. Because when my wife feels love, it cultivates my own happiness. Because when she is well loved, guess what? She loves well in return. Let me give you the last piece of this. Your marriage is worth fighting for. When that scripture says, hold fast, that really stuck out to me. And, and, and that's what I saw. I saw that your marriage is worth fighting for. And I want to start this point with a short little disclaimer. Some marital problems need professional help. And it is not shameful to seek counseling. And to seek help doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you incompetent. In fact, I would argue that it makes you humble and strong. And I would argue that really what it says to you is that you care about your marriage. And, and I want to say this, and, and I, don't, I don't want to be too overly harsh, but I, I want to say it coming from uh, a, a man, and I want to speak to the men for a second, because I hear so much people coming to my office and saying, I can't, get my, I can't get my man to go to counseling with you. Let me tell you, as men and as the spiritual leaders of our households, we should be the ones suggesting counseling, not refusing to go. I'll leave it at that. I want to, I want to ask you to do something. Raise your hand if you have heard of Radio Shack. Okay, keep them up. Keep them up for a second. Now, I want you to keep your hand raised if you've ever been in a Radio Shack. Not that terrible. Look, that's, I'm impressed. All right, you can put your hands down. 
I don't know if you guys remember as well as I do, but Radio Shack was this, this wonderful place where you could take your electronics and they could fix them, right? Radio Shack, guess what? It doesn't exist anymore. You know why it doesn't exist anymore? Because we don't fix electronics anymore. Some mad evil genius decided, hey, if things are cheap enough, people are just going to be forced to buy a new one. So instead of repair things, why? You can get a new one for just as cheap. This mentality has seeped its way into our culture. It's seeped its way into our marriages. Most people are, are, are getting into marriage today with an emergency exit. They're like, hey, if it doesn't work out, it's okay. We'll just get divorced and try again. You know, one of my responsibilities as a pastor is to officiate weddings. And there's something in particular that I read every ceremony that I do. And I do it for a very good reason. I want to read it to you. Christian marriage is a commitment of faith and trust between one man and one woman for the honor and glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, it requires both man and woman openness of life and thought with freedom from doubt and suspicion, a commitment to speak the truth in love as they grow old together as one flesh and grow up into the arms of a loving and grace-filled Father and Lord. Love and marriage are covenants of hope that endure all things in which both husband and wife commit themselves to the discovery and care of each other's souls with understanding, with compassion, with communication, The beginning of a sacrificial bond in love in which both husband and wife empty themselves of their own concerns and take upon them the concerns of each other. In doing so, loving one another as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Therefore, this covenant is not meant to be entered in selfishly or without thought, but reverently into this holy estate. These two come now to be joined. I say that because I want to emphasize that this is not just some willy-nilly thing that we do. It matters. I want to emphasize that last line. Marriage is a big deal. It's not a Vegas on a whim thing. In fact, I don't even think that we fully comprehend the commitment of marriage until we understand Christ's commitment to us. Because marriage takes a biblical love, a love that is kind, a love that is patient, a love that keeps no record of wrongs, a love that does not seek its own way, a love that doesn't leave an emergency exit, a love that values people over the current problem. You know, there's a reason why our our marriage vows say, until death do us part. It's not a commitment that's only valid when things are good, when things are easy. It's in sickness and health. It's in richer or poor. It's a commitment to putting in the work, to trying to figure it out. It's a commitment to doing whatever it takes. And and I'm tired of hearing people say, oh, but we've fallen out of love. I'm tired of people thinking that a a new relationship will solve their problems, when in reality, they're, they're probably not putting in the work that's required for a healthy relationship. The grass is only greener on the other side because they're probably not taking care of their own lawn. And that's not a dig at anybody. It takes two to tango. This is a commitment on both ends. And and please, please don't hear me wrong today. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm I'm not, I'm just, I just want to remind you of your vow that it's a big deal. 
And I'm suggesting that, that if we take the energy that we were going to give to a new relationship and give it to our spouses, we might discover that we still love them. And, and I need to pause, and, and this is so important for me to say. I in no way am attempting to shame anybody in here if you've been divorced. And, and if you've been divorced, I want you to look at me really good right now because you need to hear what I'm about to say. God still loves you. God still loves you. That divorce, it doesn't define you. Jesus died on a cross to carry our sin and shame far away from us. That means that you do not have to burden yourself with the past. Don't allow shame from a former marriage hijack your future. At the same time, though, we've got to understand that divorce is never what God wants. Matthew 19, 6. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. But let's be honest. There are times where divorce is necessary. There are times where you have to get out of an unhealthy, toxic, or abusive situation. But can I suggest separation before divorce? Can I suggest that that maybe your spouse deserves a season of being prayed over, that, that they deserve counseling, that they deserve a chance to change? Because this is what I know, Romans 5, 3 through 4. Celebrate in seasons of suffering because we know that when we suffer, we develop endurance, which shapes our characters. And when our characters are refined, we learn what it means to hope and anticipate God's goodness. See, to me, this this scripture is asking us to lean into our season of hardship because, listen, it rains on everybody. Marriage is hard. There's really, really good times and there's really, really hard times. And sometimes it's, it's just understanding that you're way more selfish than you think you are. Like when, when I first got married, I was like, wow, I didn't realize how much I only cared about me. And then I had kids and it I felt even worse. There's things that you just have to sacrifice for love. But instead of letting those hard times break you, let Jesus use it to strengthen your character. Because adversity is hard. But when we fight together, adversity leads to anniversaries. Two people committed to God and each other can weather any storm. But guess what? I understand that it doesn't always work out. I get that. All I'm advocating for, all I'm fighting for today is is that you choose to fight harder before you walk away. Call me old school, but I believe what the scripture tells us, that what God has brought together, nobody should separate. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. and You know, it's, it's funny. A, a lot of times, messages have a way of hitting different places. And I, I want to say that the altar is open, but I also want to say that, like, it's not worth refusing to come to the altar because you're, you're worried about what people might think. Because the truth is, is that we're all in different places. Like I told you, I said, I, I, I've really been challenged this week to, to think about creating space with my wife where we can pray together. So, so maybe you need to come and pray and just, just ask for just the, the strength to, to maybe accomplish something like that. Maybe you need to seek just help and and you just want somebody to pray over you, this side is open. If you just want to maybe grab your spouse and and pray together, this side is open. This, This is what I know. 
Marriage is hard enough. We don't need to make it harder. There's people that care about you. There's counselors that can meet with you. There's pastors that can pray over you, pastors that can meet with you. Like not only do we want to just preach that your marriage is worth fighting for, but I just want to say as a congregation, I think that we want to emulate that we want to fight with you. We want to pray over you because we know that it's not easy, but we do know at the same time that, that there is a model that we can follow that makes marriage so much better. And part of that is just learning to pursue Jesus together. Part of that is stepping out in faith and, and trying to love and respect each other even when it's difficult, even when it's not easy, because that's what Christ has called us to do and to keep fighting through those hard seasons. So I don't know where you are today, but I just hope that as they sing, that you feel comfortable to respond how you need. Would you sing? Would you stand?